Well, hey guys, I, uh, we're glad you're here with us today, and thank you, Josh. That was that was perfect. Uh, I know some of you are having some problems on Facebook Live, and so we are going to try to get that squared away. But it may just be uh, everyone is streaming right now, uh, and we will post this full video after in case you're having problems, so you can watch it uh, be a little smoother. I hope you've had a great week. I know this has been a crazy week for all of us. Uh, I'm very excited about some of the t tools or resources we have at our disposal. Uh, I, I love what Natalia's done with some devotions and things that you can do with your kids. Uh, students are going to be talking by Zoom on Wednesday, and then we're going to have some kind of all-church Zoom stuff going on if you would like to join in, as well as posting some devotional videos um, on different days. So we're excited about the ways to connect. All of you are connecting online. You're connecting through Facebook. Uh, if you're not in the Facebook group, which is a private group, then all you need to do is, is join and uh, someone will approve you. And that's just a place for us to have some meaningful conversation together. And I am so thankful all of you have done that this week. Uh, we've had some really great conversations on there and some great connections. So, uh, so lots going on. And we don't know how long this is going to be going on, but for the meantime, we're making the best of it. I know you're making the best of it, and we are praying for you regularly. Uh, we are excited about what God is going to be doing through all of this and what we get to do as a church community as well. Scott and I are going to continue uh, kind of our dialogue. Yeah, we're broadcasting to you live from our underground bunker on the outskirts of town. And That's right. <laughs> and uh, we're not touching each other or, or uh, so... We're going to try to be as safe as we can. Yeah, a couple uh, of tech points here. If you're, you're watching this live, uh, you may want to swipe your comments off on your phone. That seems to be uh, saving us a little bit of bandwidth this morning. It seems to be better. There is also a delay in the feed this morning, so we're actually a little bit ahead of you, so we'll have to work on that as well. Be patient with us and, and do those things. And then if you'd like to comment, just swipe your comment back on and make it, and then maybe turn it off. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we're going to try to follow along with your comments. That was our hope for today. Uh, we're all figuring this out, and churches uh, all over the world, or at least all over our nation, are doing Facebook Live for the first time today, so we're probably inundating their system. Uh, we may do something a little different next week, but we'll keep up and, and let you know. Uh, so we're going to continue with Genesis chapter 10 today. And we are rapidly approaching the end of our interactive, as interactive as it can be right now, study of Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, we are closing in on two very uh, exciting weeks for me. I'm excited to talk to you about chapter 10 and chapter 11. And some of you have asked me, well, how are you going to pull something out of this? Uh, and so um, what I'm going to share with you today, what Scott's going to be sharing with me is uh, a lot of Jewish history and things that tie this story into us today, uh, but also what was going on behind the scenes. So we're going to be relying on lots of sources. I'm going to tell you up front some of the things we're going to be talking about. We are not uh, experts in every field of every study on the face of the planet. I know that's surprising. Um, we try to come across like we are, but we're not. Uh, but there are several tie-ins to today that we're going to draw from Genesis chapter 10. But before we do that, I need to kind of set it up, and I need you to remember where we've been so far. 
So as we began in Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating. We see God creating all that there is, and it was good. Not only was it good, we were good. The tree that would eventually lead to our fall was good, but God gave us a choice and gave us attention. And if you remember, we've been following a common theme through all of this that we'll follow through all the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even today, we're following the same pattern, the same rhythm of God creating, God uncreating, and then God recreating. We're seeing that throughout this story. God created, sin entered the world, God uncreated. Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, um, God created again or created through Adam and Eve. They had a family. And then chaos entered yet again through Cain and Abel. God begins to move again, and chaos reigned on the world. God began to regret, which means he began to change his mind. Um, He mourned. He grieved over what was happening on the earth. And so uh, he caused a flood to, to destroy all living things on the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family. Noah found favor in God's eyes. I want you to remember that Noah's name is, uh, is important. Their hope of Noah's father was that Noah would bring kind of a, a, a ceasing of the curse um, and things would not get any worse than they are. Noah found favor in God's eyes and then Noah and his family entered the ark. So now we're entering into a different period. We're kind of jumping ahead. And Noah and his family have left the ark. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about what happened between uh, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham did something to Noah. If you want to go back and watch that uh, video, you can. Uh, And it caused a curse. This curse is going to follow through our entire sermon today. And that is because we're going to be looking at the effects of sin as it entered into this kind of enlarging community that is growing now that Noah and his family are now having kids and they're growing and they're growing quickly. I also want you to remember that God gave the same command to Adam that he gave to Noah and that was multiply and fill the earth. So that's kind of our setup. Hopefully get you caught up. Uh, If you haven't joined us in any of these other weeks, then you can find all of those on Facebook or you can go to journeychattanooga.com. And we have the sermons there as well. All right? Are we ready? I think we're doing a little bit better from the comments here. If you guys see me looking down, I'm monitoring the comments live and trying to be a little interactive here. So don't think I'm just watching, you know, YouTube instead of listening to Mark like most of y'all are. Good, good. So it's, so it's catching up. Yeah, it's catching up. A little All bit. right, good. So as we come into chapter 10, I want you to know that chapter 11 actually precedes chapter 10. Chapter 11 precedes chapter 10, and this is why we know this. In chapter 11, the beginning environment uh, of uh, verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Everybody spoke the same language. Everybody understood each other. And to the beginning of chapter uh, chapter 11, everybody's speaking the same language. However, in chapter 10, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, You can read that if you haven't already. Uh, We find in uh, chapter 10, verse 5, says, From these coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. Um, That was chapter 10, verse 5. Chapter 10, verse 20 
says, These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Genesis 10.31 says, These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So chapter 10, we already have a diversity of nations, and we have a separating of the clans. And so next week we'll hit chapter 11. The reason that's important is chapter 10 is giving us a big picture view of what's going on. Uh, It's giving us the new nations that are beginning to grow around an expanding world. And what chapter 11 gives us uh, is going to be the story that led to the dispersion of these nations. So chapter 11 is focused on the Tower of Babel. And it's going to be primarily talking about the event that led to all of these languages that they are following. All right. So if you can stay with me, chapter 11, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 9 is talking about the curse of Ham and the blessing of Shem. So this is where we need you to tune in and pay attention. If you want to ask questions, you can ask questions uh, and we'll try to respond to the best that we can. This curse of Ham uh, from Genesis 9, 24 through 27, uh, we find that after Noah wakes up and realizes that Ham has done something uh, to him. And it says, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. So he also said, blessed be the Lord the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. That is important, important, important. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So we have this dynamic that has now been created. We have Ham who has done something to Noah. Noah has cursed Ham. And the the curses we talked about a couple of weeks ago is really interesting Because he is basically cursing Ham's son and then their lineage that they are going to be subservient to Shem. Now this is important because we're going to follow that theme, not just through Genesis chapter 10 and 11, but through the rest of Genesis. And then as we look back on the development of history, society, culture, and religion, we're going to find that this actually feeds in to tensions, and political realities within the Middle East today, specifically between Christianity and Islam. You may be thinking, well, how are you going to pull that together? You're going to have to stay for the whole thing to see how that works out through Scripture, through the story of Abraham, and uh, how that affects us today. All right? It's a bit interesting what I was just thinking here as you say curse of Ham, uh, that Noah cursed him. Did Noah curse him, or did God actually curse him through Noah? I can't imagine what it would be like if you and I had the ability to curse people. There might be some folks out in our audience that would be in a lot of trouble. That's right. A lot of drivers would not be doing good things, yeah. That's right. Yeah, so so good point. Uh, God cursed through Noah. Noah, and and we we see that even in the New Testament where Jesus tells his apostles, whatever you bless will be blessed by God, whatever you curse will be cursed by God. So yes, Noah has no ability to affect any change and what happens down the road but what we see is through that curse uh, we do see that consistency of what Noah says is going to happen to Ham does happen to Ham and his family 
Um, Genesis chapter 10. Let's jump down to 10. We're not going to read all of Genesis 10, but I want to read this specific section because it's going to hone in on the individual that is important to us today. Uh, Starting in verse 6, it says, The sons of Ham. Remember, Ham transgressed against Noah. Ham was cursed. We are going to read the story of the development of Ham's family. The sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta. I'm going to make you read these. You should should read read all these, by the way. I'm sorry, though. Yeah, right. Rama and Septeca. The sons of Rama, Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. Here's where we get into the meat. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Now, I want you to know what he means by a mighty man can mean a number of different things. It can mean he was a great warrior. He was a great leader. He was a king. It also has been used to convey the idea of a tyrant. And what we see with Nimrod is that Nimrod is going to be our first kind of empire builder, first kingdom builder, as everything's beginning to grow and people are beginning to to spread out. Nimrod is the first mighty man after the flood. That which draws many people together, his family is growing, his clan is growing, and as that's happening, he's building these huge empires. Now, when you think about that, I'm not thinking New York City. Uh, A large city would have been a few dozen to a few hundred people at the time, growing to then a few thousand. Um, But this is an area... Uh, that Nimrod demonstrates that he's different than anybody else that's on the face of the earth at this yeah, point. And, and this is a bit different than what we see with later on uh, with David and his mighty men. It's not the same connotation here. Right. That's one thing we don't want to confuse. Is David's mighty men were soldiers. They were almost soldiers of fortune type guys, special ops, that kind of soldier. Where mighty man here means something really different. Yes, yes, absolutely. Verse 9 then says, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I want you to know here, before the Lord literally means against the Lord. So he doesn't mean he's in front of, it means he's standing in the face of God in opposition to him. So Nimrod at this point has not really learned the lesson uh, from the flood, you know, he's not he's not really uh, learned that there's a way to live life that not only honors God, but brings joy to your life. There's a way that brings pain and he's choosing that way. Yeah. And talking about a mighty hunter this morning, I introduced Mark to a little piece of trivia this morning and we'll have to share this. And, and maybe you guys can look this up later. I'll, I'll first op- ask the question, does anybody know in popular culture, Nimrod has become a bit of an insult? I think that has kind of gone away with time. When I was growing up, it was an insult more so. Uh, But does anybody know where that came from? And it was an interesting story because, honestly, that's where I remembered the name from more than the biblical story was from this pop culture reference. It was Bugs Bunny, you know. You know, Bugs Bunny Theology (laughs) 101 this morning. But Bugs and Elber were having their usual spat where Elber Fudd is hunting him. He's hunting the wabbit. And Bugs Bunny says, Oh, you little Nimrod. And he means it sarcastically. He means you're not a great hunter. You're not a mighty hunter. You're you're below this. And Bugs Bunny is filled with sarcasm and things, which is probably one of the reasons I really enjoy it. But it kind of went over the head of kids as if an adult would 
put two and two together and realize, hey, he's insulting that guy. He's saying you're not really a mighty hunter like Nimrod. So that's one of the, the few cultural references I've seen for the word Nimrod. That, that's true. That's good. And I, didn't rem- I remember as a kid, I knew the name Nimrod. I knew it was an insult, but I didn't remember it was from Bugs Bunny. But now that you say that, it, it doesn't. It makes perfect sense. If somebody can look that up later, and, and you can share that on your Facebook post. Find, find, find a clip. A clip. <laughs> find a clip and share it with everybody. Yeah. So, so but, but Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Uh, it means he had a great amount of skill. He had a great amount of ability. He was strong. He was powerful. He, he, uh, you know, he was a big guy. Uh, he knew um, how to run a, a group of people. He knew how to lead. But I want you to keep in mind, Nimrod is coming from the lineage of Ham. And the curse of Ham is that you will be subservient to Shem. And Shem is in a different part of the world right now than Ham, and or Shem's family is a different part of the world than Ham's family. Nimrod is the grandson of Ham. And Japheth is in a different part of the world right now than either of his two brothers' families. But this is what how Nimrod is introduced to us, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Verse 10 says, the beginning of his kingdom. Now, you'll know some of these names. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, which would go on to be called Babylon, Eric, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So when we read about Nineveh in the Old Testament, Nimrod is the one who built that city. And that city would become one of the largest, it would become the largest and wealthiest city in the world Oh, five, six hundred, uh, five, six hundred BC, BCE um, is when that's going to be uh, kind of the largest metropolitan area in the world. Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin, all between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Now, Nimrod, the name in Hebrew, also literally means rebel. So don't be renaming your kids. <laughs> Nimrod, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it literally means rebel in Hebrew. And would, would it be appropriate for homeschooling this week yes. to call your child Nimrod because they're not listening? I, I think we have lots of lots Nimrods of in our homes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, we're getting lots of amens yeah, from the sound booth. Yeah. Uh, yes. We have lots of Nimrods today. Uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I also want you to know Nimrod's kingdom which ties back into how does this impact us today, is Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is going to be modern-day Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Jordan, uh, parts of Egypt. We're talking about an area of the world that we're all familiar with because there is great tension and great strife to this day between two competing brothers from Noah's lineage. We'll get back into that a little more but between judaism slash christianity which are not the same thing but both have common roots and often come to and work together and then islam on another side we'll come back to that i want you to know all that is happening for nimrod is happening in this very sensitive part of the world that has been sensitive since since the beginning since the very since the flood this has been sensitive Um, between the brothers um, of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Babel, modern-day Babylon, is in Iraq. It's about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad. Today, it's just in ruins. Uh, you can still go and see parts of Babylon. Um, uh, Eric is in southwestern Iraq. Uh, Assyria, northern Iraq, southeastern Turkey, northwestern Iran, and northeastern Syria. Nineveh, Mosul, Iraq. Rehoboth is near Nineveh. Kala and, and uh, Rezin are both in northern Iraq as well. I want you to keep all that in mind. They're still there. <laughs> that, that family has still grown. I'm not saying that everyone who lives in that part of the world comes from Ham's family. But if we believe this story is true, everyone in the world yeah. comes from one of those three brothers. Right. Right. Yeah, and I was thinking as we were talking about this, them being brothers, that actually adds another dynamic to it, doesn't it? I mean, this is this is not only a lineage that's cursed by God. This is a family altercation now. That this family, it's almost in in our time in Southern Appalachia, would be the Hatfields and McCoys. They just hate each other because of the lineage and things. And then there's nothing you can do about that. You can't jump lineages. I can't jump over here and say, "Oh no, I'm really of not of Ham. I'm of." Right. This side, right, and and so you can't do that. So there's a there's a dynamic there that's that's family as well as the curse from God. Yeah, absolutely. Just like you know, around Christmas, we talk about the lineage of Jesus. That was a that was an important part of the coming of Jesus. Lineage is so important at this in this part of the world, and especially at this time of the world, where you come from, uh, speaks volumes because they were very community minded, very family minded. Uh, so we weren't all individuals just born into a family. We all were a part of this community, and, and their identity was our identity. Our identity was their identity. It was yeah. kind of different than us today that go all in our separate yeah. Yeah, Probably the places. way we would have identified with it in history, things was more like a clan of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good, yeah. So how do we draw together this picture of Nimrod, because I've just read to you pretty much everything we know about Nimrod from Scripture. But we actually have a Jewish historian that wrote quite a bit about Nimrod. You've heard of him. His name is Josephus, and we have a love-hate relationship with Josephus. We love him because he is the most reliable first century, first century A.D. historian of Jewish history not just of what happened uh, in that, those first 100 years um, of Jesus' life, ministry, and then the beginning of the church after, but also prior Jewish history. He is seen as a very reliable source. But one of the things we don't often talk about with Josephus is Josephus was kind of a traitor <laughs> to his own people. Yeah. So jo Josephus was a teacher who uh, was a rebel, and fought with the Jews against Rome. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that everything we read in the New Testament has to be understood through the lens of a, the Roman Empire because Jerusalem was just a... Israel was a pocket kingdom for Rome at this point. They were really controlling them. The priests and everyone that was in control were approved by Rome, which is one of the reasons Jesus... Uh, would get in the priest's face so much is because they w didn't have the interest of God or his people at heart. They had the interest of their Roman rulers at heart. Josephus was a rebel, one of many rebels who fought against Rome. But at some point along the way, 
he changed sides. Not only does he change sides, he moves to Rome and he joins one of the, the noblemen of Rome's family, changes his name to a Roman name and seems to begin to write things in a way that is sensitive to the Roman Empire, not sensitive to his homeland of Israel. So we have a love-hate relationship with him because uh, we love him for the history that he brings. But some of the history, just like in all history, the winners write it. Um, some of that we question about that hundred years of his life. Um, is it really trustworthy? So anyways, this is what Josephus wrote on Nimrod. Now the sons of Noah were three, Shem, Japheth, and Ham, born 100 years before the deluge, or that means flood. Uh, these first of all descended from the mountains into the plains and fixed their habitation there, persuaded others who were greatly afraid of the lower grounds on account of the food, and so were very loath to come down from the higher places to venture to follow their examples. Now the plain in which they first dwelt was called Shinar, God also commanded them to send colonies abroad for the thorough peopling of the earth. This was the command to go and multiply and fill the earth. Um, that they might not raise seditions among themselves, but might cultivate a great part of the earth and enjoy its fruits after a plentiful manner. But they were so ill-instructed that they did not obey God, for which reason they fell into calamities. And were made sensible by experience of what sin they had been guilty for when they flourished with a numerous youth. God admonished them again to send out colonies, but they, imagining the prosperity they enjoyed, was not derived from the favor of God, but supposing that their own power was the proper cause of the plentiful condition they were in, did not obey him. Now they added to this their disobedience to the divine will, the suspicion that they were therefore ordered to send out separate colonies, that being divided asunder, they might the more easily be oppressed. In other words, they began to trust in themselves, and they did not follow what God had encouraged them to do, which was trust me, follow me, walk with me, and spread out and fill the earth. They didn't do that. Instead, they decided, we're going to stay together. This is where the kingdom building comes. This is where... Nimrod, rather than obeying God, begins to build these massive groups of people that follow him, that put him in charge, and put him in control. And it begins the first true government on the earth after the flood. Josephus goes on in part two, and he says, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. Remember, Nimrod was... Before the Lord, which means he was in the face of God. He was against God. It was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means they were happy. But to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny. Now, this is what Josephus is telling us. And he's telling us this history that has been passed down from generation to generation. 
But I want you to listen, hear this. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. He also said he would be revenged on God. If he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their fathers. In other words, chapter 11 talks all about the Tower of Babel. Historians, scholars tell us it was Nimrod who pushed for it, and it's Josephus now telling us he had such a hate for God and wanted to turn everyone away from God that he tried to draw all their attention on him, that he would become their God as their governing tyrant. And then he was going to stick it to God because he did truly believe in God by building a tower so that if God ever flooded the world again, he would climb his tower and be safe. Even though God has already said he's never going to do that again. So this is the man that we read about in Nimrod that gets a little bit of attention in Genesis, but gets a lot of attention in Jewish culture. And it goes on in the third part to say, Now the multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. How how many times do we follow somebody because of their determination? Oh, yeah. He's he's got... Uh, we would call it vision today sometimes. Yeah. He, has, he has this vision of what needs to be, so we're going to follow his vision. Yeah, and, and we do that. They've got drive. They've got charisma. We do this in the church. We do this with Absolutely. church leaders. We do this in politicians. We, we elect politicians based on, well, who do we think can, can lead us the most and mm-hmm. has the best vision for us and who's going to show us the best way to get live life and that we can be the happiest. I, I mean, that's... Yeah. A very charismatic speaker and message can put out the wrong message and people will follow it because he's charismatic. Just because it's charismatic. Mm-hmm. Just be, I mean, we, you can look throughout history and see example after example. I, you know, um, Charles Manson yeah. would be an example of someone who was so charismatic to draw people in. And yet he was one of the worst people on the face of the planet. Adolf Hitler would be another Adolf one. Hitler drew people in. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we oftentimes, without wisdom ourselves, will follow charismatic leaders and not vet the message that they're giving. And that's exactly what's happening here. The multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod, which means they were willing to turn away from God, which means they were going to trust in themselves, and which means they were going to subject themselves to Nimrod because they trusted his rule. And it goes on to say, and to esteem it, this is so good, does this sound familiar to today? And to esteem it a piece of cowardice to submit to God. Your church and your prayers, that's just a crutch because you're not intelligent enough to do it some other way. Yes. The way we hear it today. That's right. It's a crutch. I've heard that so many times. I've heard people joke about, oh, yeah, offer your prayers. Like, that's going to do anything. Right. You know, what's so interesting to me is we, we can follow that way of thinking all the way back to Nimrod. There's nothing new under the sun. We are still the same people. We are still the same. We subject ourselves to the same tyrants, and they're not all political. 
We have other tyrants in our lives. If they tell us they can do a better job with our lives than we can, we willingly submit to them. Yeah. No, no matter what your belief in evolution may be, it's obvious that humans have not improved themselves. We have not gotten better. <laughs> we have not gotten better. Uh, but he esteemed it a piece of cowardice to submit to God. And they built a tower, neither sparing any pains nor being in any degree negligent about the work. I mean, they did a good job. Now, we're not going to go into the rest of the tower. We'll talk a little about the rest of what he says about the tower next week. But what I want you to see is that Nimrod was a charismatic, big character who hated God and wanted to turn as many people away from him as possible. So some of the things we can draw from this, number one, Nimrod hated God, and he led others to do the same. That was his story. That was his legacy. Yeah, and and today we even have something similar of people that hate God or don't believe in him. If God is not powerful and is is nothing, why are you so determined to make sure I don't follow him? I, I I saw um, Ron Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son. I hadn't seen one of the commercials that he did. I can't remember the name of the organization. The uh, it's like the organization for atheists to yeah something to like something to make sure that there's separation between church and state. And um, I, I saw it, and it just reminded me: if God is not real, if it's all made up in a fairy tale, why do we go to such great lengths to try to say that He is? Why do we not just walk away and move on with our lives? But this has literally been the story of humanity from the beginning, at least since the flood. And if we, can, if we look at the chaos that entered in even before the flood, we know this happened even before the flood. It happened beginning with Cain and Abel, who were the sons of, of the first people, Adam and Eve. Nimrod hated God. He led others to do the same. And Nimrod was from the lineage of Ham. This creates some interesting problems for us. Because Ham was cursed to be subservient to Shem. Correct. But now one about now basically Ham's grandson is in charge of a third of the world. Yeah. Like he's a tyrant over the third of the world. In the thir- in the other two thirds that he is not over are not prospering as well as his is. That's right. Because of his dynamic personality and the people following him. If you were a casual observer in that time, much as we do today, you would say, well, it looks like God is really blessing Really Nimrod blessing Nimrod. look, man, he's, he's got it going <laughs> on. Everybody's following. He's building things. He is He's the man we need to follow because that's who God's blessing. Yes, yes. And for, if there are pastors listening today, that is something that you have to keep in mind that the – Things that we typically use to identify success are, are not always success in God's eyes. And, uh, but Nimrod was a guy, and, and Josephus would go on to say, and other scholars would also go on to say, that likely one of the drives for Nimrod was the fear that he would again become, self, or become subservient to Shem. In other words, if I'm going to maintain this life, if I'm going to maintain, there's nobody like me in the world. If I don't, I'm not going to be subservient to anybody, then I have to go in this direction and I have to make sure I do not return. Historians will go on to say that Nimrod would fall deeper and deeper into levels of paranoia for fear that he would lose what he has. Again, we see that in modern day leaders today. It happens when you get that kind of power and control over others. We were not meant to have that kind of control over others, no matter how charismatic and no matter how successful you are. 
Nimrod was from the lineage of Ham. We're going to come back to that again because that is so important. Nimrod, Nimrod was skilled, strong, and an egomaniac. Like he was the most important person in the world. He wanted to be God. When he stood in front of God, he was saying, I am, I am better than you. And he wanted to be God. And he also didn't want anyone to attribute his strengths to anyone other than him. Which is a real problem yeah. we have. A lot of charismatic, successful people also have this problem where I don't want to believe that anyone else got me here. Oh, yeah. It's uh, in some ways here in our country, it's the American dream. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're a self made man or woman, and everything you have done has put you where you're at without God's intervention of any sort. Yes, yes, you know, yes. It's all about what I have done, what my efforts are. And many of us, especially, I think I speak especially for men, we struggle with that sometimes mm. because we're fixers. We want to fix problems. We want to make things happen. And sometimes we try and make things happen, maybe even that God doesn't want to happen. Yes. And we try and force open doors that God isn't ready to open for us yet. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's so good, Scott. Yeah, yeah. The, the need to believe that I don't need anyone. Has there been another time in history where a larger part of the a portion of the population believed they didn't need anyone? I can do it on my own. I can be an individual. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons that this thing we're in, this quarantine, is so hurtful. Oh, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned the word individual. As a part of our very culture here, individualism is very important. And we'll talk about this a little bit later in the in the uh, uh, frame of tyranny and politics. But we're very much individualistic people, and I will do what's what's best for me, which sometimes you do need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your own family. You need to watch out for those under your control and care. However, often that comes becomes tyranny because – it is to the detriment of others that yes. you're taking care of yourself. Yes. The idea that we don't need to worry about anyone but ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Another thing we see from what from both Scripture and from what Josephus tells us is that Nimrod wanted people to believe their happiness was a result of his rule and their own courage to follow him, not walking with God. And what we have seen is in this type of a governing system, oppression becomes overwhelming. It destroys people. But every tyrant has the same message. The only hope you have in happiness is through me. Now, I would encourage you. We like to say that we're equal opportunity offenders. We like to <laughs> offend everybody's political uh, views and stances. I would encourage you. When you listen over these next few months, however this election season plays out, listen for how many times a candidate will say, I will make you happy. I will give you what you want. If you elect me, I'm the only one of everyone else that can give you the life that you want to have. Yeah, even if it's 
even if it's in the context of helping others, just because I'll make you happy because you want to help others. Yes. Not that it's the right thing to do necessarily, but it's because I know that that will make you happy and that's what you value. Yes. And there's always that individualism wrapped up in whatever is being spoken to us. And it doesn't matter what political party you're in. People that are trying to sway your opinion are going to feed your own ego and your own, yes. own thoughts and needs of what I would like to see happen. And I'm going to tell you, I'll make those things happen for you. That's right. That's right. Outside of God. I'm your man or woman, but right now it looks like it's all men. Yeah, <laughs> it's shaking yeah. out. Rick Adams has a great comment from our feed this morning. He says, when we finally realize our efforts aren't working, we go to God in prayer. Yes. I'm doing better, but I still fall back, fall back into thinking I can fix it. Yes. Great comment, Rick. That, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple of times this week where we've, we've had the people say, well, all we can do is pray. How many times do we make that stupid statement, all we can do is pray, when that's supposed to be the first yes. thing we do? We fall back into that's all we can do. Now, after I've exhausted all of my man-made efforts, now I'm going to fall back into prayer. Like Rick says, when we should be praying for God to show us if there's some man-made thing I need to be doing. Yes, 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 yes. And and the nefarious thing that is happening every time we, we follow our drive for individualism <coughs> or we put a person in the place where God is supposed to be, is it distances ourselves from God. And the question is, well, do they know that's what they're doing? Nibron did. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to draw them away from God. And the only way he could do that, knowing that they depended on God, was for them to depend on him instead. And so he took that mantle on himself, which fed his ego, but he also introduced what countless numbers of people have experienced in life under a tyrant. Another great comment from, from Leslie uh, says, I think we avoid praying first because we're afraid of the answer. Oh, oh that's, that's really good. good. Yeah, that's, that's good. really good. God, God will, will give me the answer I don't want to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and how many times do we want to believe it was our courage or our work or our wit that caused something to happen, not that God is working for our good. I think this is one of the reasons that worship is so important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think many people have said, if there were a characteristic for us to grow in that would change our lives, our children's lives, our world, it would be to remember gratefulness, being thankful, recognizing we didn't get here. Let's say a, a Nimrod. Somebody taught Nimrod how to hunt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, somebody taught him how to organize people. Now, maybe he did it better than any of his teachers ever did it, but somebody taught him to do that. Yeah, somebody a, taught him how to speak. There was a mentor somewhere involved in it. And yet Nimrod wanted everyone to believe he did it all on his own. Not only that, he had to have the capacity. There was a time I used to believe I had an unlimited capacity. I could just add things into my plate. I could do more and more and more. And a few years ago, I hit, I hit a wall. I hit a wall hard. I realized I, I have a, a limited capacity. I didn't ever want to believe that. When I was growing up, I thought I could do anything I wanted. Uh, a lot of our messages we send our kids is you can do whatever you want. And that's honestly not really true. I mean, we want them to strive and try because in the striving and trying, we become more than we would have been. But we all have some limited capacity, but the capacity we have has been given to us from God. 
And we use them in different ways and to different lengths. Spiritual gifts, when we talk about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, that's all about you've given a capacity to do something amazing in the world for the kingdom of God. And that's given by God through the Holy Spirit. You know, Nimrod did not want anyone to recognize that anyone had given him, that God had given him the capacity or that people had invested in him and trained him instead. Oh, Leslie has another good point. It says, so did Nimrod pervert his spiritual gift of administration and use it for his own good? Oh, yeah. So that's really good. So that's a great question um, that we really don't have time to go into, but we, is, we always talk about not Nimrod, but this reality that Leslie's bringing up with spiritual gifts, and that is that with the great capacity that you, you're given, you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. Great power comes with great responsibility, yes. correct? <laughs> yes. So the very charisma that was meant to lead people to freedom and love and joy and, and faith in Christ, people use to murder people yep. and to become tyrants. And yet their gift was meant for something else. Sometimes when I, I listen to some musicians and their lyrics, I just got to turn them off. I, I can't listen to this. It's so, it's so bad. It's so raunchy. I just can't listen. And yet God gave them a creative ability that they're using for something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think how much of this lies at our feet, though? It's our mm. own fault because when we look for leaders, don't you look for somebody that has more capacity than you do? Yes. This person, they appear to have it going... They have capacity to do things. I, I don't see how they work. They work 20 hours a day and sleep for three and eat for one, and I can't do that. But they've got to be better than me because they do that. And, yeah. and so leaders feed on that. They yes. understand what we're craving. They, so there are no uh, chinks in their armor, so to speak. They don't let their, yes. their flaws show. Pastors have been bad about this, uh, putting themselves on a pedestal that our lives are perfect, I think. You that have watched here and, and know us know Mark and I are not like that. We realize we have tons of faults, and we yeah. share them regularly. Yeah. But there are leaders. Well, you have more than I do. But. Well, this is true. I've lived longer <laughs> than you have, though. So, so you know, they, kind of, they mount up over time. I, I'm, you know, but, uh, yeah, I'm catching up. Yeah, yeah, you're catching up. But so, so we have that problem. Yes. We, we have the problem of people's – we try and live up to people's expectations with our leadership. We yeah. They – they expect us to have it all perfect, that we never argue with our wives, that we never scold our children. That you know, Every pastor's home this week should have a live feed of how they work with their kids being homeschooled. Oh, no, that, no, that no, would, no, 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 no. We can't be, do that. There would be no <laughs> suspicion that we're human at that point, right? Yeah. CPS might be called on some of us. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, Christina makes a good point. There's there is a difference between spiritual gifts and talent. Yeah, as well. that's true. That's a good point. That is a good point. Listen, I, one of the things that I would I, I would encourage you with during all these shutdowns and quarantine in the home and not being able to leave your home and, and that speaks to this area of capacity is you do have a limited area of capacity. You may be at an age where you don't believe that yet, and that's fine. Your day is coming. The day you hit the wall is coming. But I want to encourage you, if you're working from home, do not work seven days a week. You need a Sabbath. God knew we were going to bump up against the, the desire to have an unlimited amount of capacity. And he knew also we didn't have it. And so he gave us the Sabbath and he demonstrated because God does not have unlimited capacity. But in creating, he demonstrated we all need a time to rest. 
and, and this is going to be very difficult during these times. We need to take care of ourselves. I'm, I'm thinking of families that where we have, uh, just because of the way society is now, many spouses, both spouses work somewhere in the workplace. Yes. If you bring both of those spouses home to work and you quarantine their children at home to do their schoolwork, you have created a problem because there are still no more hours in the day than That's there right. were. So That's you've right. got eight hours of work from this spouse, eight hours from this, and six or so hours of work from the children. There's not enough time in the day to do all that. And so, right. so we're going to have to realize as a society there's going to have to be some adaptation to doing this. Uh, working from home is, is, is a patch for most people. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to get, get through this time and to, to keep the economy going, keep your own personal economy going for one thing. But we're going to have to realize there's going to have to be a breaking point somewhere where you, perhaps like yesterday, I saw people getting out, taking their kids out to ride the box and things like that, and being more intentional yes. about those breaks. Oh, and some of those I just think are going to end up being great blessings through this. Um, if there can be a blessing in the middle of a pandemic, it is that we we re-experience and reimagine what it means to be a family again. So. Yeah, those are all good, good things. Um, oh, wow. Here's a good one from Christina again. I also think the thoughts of I'm not doing enough is a hidden pride issue, too. Mm. As in we could actually do enough. Like we take the responsibility of God and put it on ourselves. Pride disguises humility. That's really good. Yeah, that is. We do. And, and it is the same sin of Nimrod. I'm self-sufficient. And as Christians, we have to recognize that can, even if we love God, that can just worm its way into our life yeah. if we're not careful. You know, and, and what Christina says there reminds me of something that society-wise we see often. How harmful is it to try and reach what may be an unattainable goal? Mm. At some point, do you have to realize there's limited capacity to do these things? You know, I would love to be a great musician, but I'm not musically inclined. Yeah. I can work as many hours a day as I can towards that and have the same dedication that someone like Aaron, our drummer, has. And I'll never be able to drum like him. That's yeah. not my talent. That's not... Yeah. Not the way God has gifted me. And how many times do we strive for something that's unattainable? Yes. And, and all of that. And are applauded for it. Yeah. And all of that is God has orchestrated us to interweave our lives together. Our strengths make up for others' weaknesses. Their strengths make up for our weaknesses. And that's, some of that's being stretched, but some of that's being addressed through online community and calling and checking on people. And I don't know if you guys can see this. I'm going to hold this up for just a minute on our Facebook feed. It's, it's kind of encouraging to see our Facebook feed exploding with hearts yeah, going up yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where people are being involved and, and we're, we're, we're feeding into each other's souls. That's a fantastic thing to see. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And we're so glad you guys are, are interested in this stuff and checking it. I love this kind of stuff. But I hope you'll also see uh, this amazing parallel between life after the flood and life today. There, there's really an amazing parallel there. Well, we're, we've evidently hit upon a topic that many people okay. are, are interested in. Murphy Legg says, so since we're mentioning the gift of administration, I think you can naturally be good at administering before you get the Holy Spirit. But after you receive that, then it empowers you to use that same gift for the bigger greatness mm, of the kingdom. That's, that's good. really good. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Rick says, when this is all over, I'll try and avoid taking anything for granted. Cherish every second spent with friends and family. Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, Christina says, talent, good singer, songwriter, artist, etc. Spiritual gifts done through the work of the Holy Spirit, such as encouragement, discernment, wisdom, and faith. Talents and spiritual gifts aren't necessarily the same. Although, 
some of those talents can be used. Some of them the are Holy intermingled. Spirit can work through those. Yes. You know, gift of administration was a good example. Yeah. Um, Stephanie Eskridge says, I think it comes down to how people compare themselves to others. I also think that leaders don't do that. Wrongful leaders are prideful in pointing out how much they do and how much others don't because they see others' weakness as a way of blinding them. I think a lot of things from not knowing yourself, not asking God your path and not turning to him before looking outside. Wow, that's something we're going to get into. That's, that's the way a tyrant controls you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a tyrant, and you, you know, a tyrant in your life can be your spouse. Oh, I wish you hadn't said that. You're going to be in so much trouble. Deidre, I'm not, yeah, I'm not know, saying it was my spouse. Deidre, I'm saying it can please, be. Deidre, please comment. I think there's going to be some, the hearts are going, I've seen pitchforks and devil faces. And <laughs> That's, not on, there. That's <laughs> not on there. That's not on there. But a tyrant can be a boss. A tyrant can be a neighbor. It can be a parent. It can be a friend. A schedule. A schedule. Absolutely. We, we, but the message is always the same from the tyrant. And then for those who, re, who accept the tyrant's invitation is, I know what's best for you. Just do what I'm telling you to do. If, yeah, if I manage my schedule in my inbox well, today it's going to bring me joy, right? If I can just, if I can get all that stuff done, I'm going to be so happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, we, and that's the way we work. Yeah, it is, it is. Um, another thing we see. And this, we've been talking around this, but that when he couldn't turn them from God, he made them dependent on him. And you will have that happen within your life. You will have things and people, and I'm glad you brought out things like schedule. It's not always people. Right. Sometimes we impose it's the tyrant, things. or yeah, uh, that are, are basically going to say, depend on me. And, and there will always be the subtle nudge of don't depend on God. And yet... Those who find true joy are those who have found a way to depend on God and walk with him, which does not mean we don't have a part. Right. I think is important in this discussion. It is not that, that we ourselves should never give ourselves to the leadership of someone else. In fact, God says the exact opposite. Make sure you have good leaders. And if you want to know what a good leader is, a good leader is one who points you back to God. That is what it looks like. And, but recognizing, you know, God wants us to play a part. He, you know, Scripture says, if you don't work, then you shouldn't eat. Yeah. But also for those who are in a, in a hard time of life. And, and in the New Testament, when Jesus talked about it, the two groups of people that he primarily talked about that really just had a hard time of life that we needed to take care of were widows and orphans. Right. And both widows and orphans, neither one could really hold a job. Uh, widows had lost, for the most part, their source of income, and it was very hard, unless there was a family member that would take them in, it was very hard for them to make it. Orphans, as well, did not have a way, did not have a trade, did not have somebody to teach them to do a trade, and the church would go to those people and would care for them because they, they couldn't make it on their own. Today, there are that group may be expanded, and we would we may include in that group those with mental disabilities or yeah. those with physical disabilities, right. those who have been through great trauma or abuse, right. something like that. But yet, we are still all called to contribute. But in our contributing, we we don't take on the the 
place of saying, I've done it all myself. There is still a trusting in God, and he guides us and walks. Psalmist says that he, he will place one foot in front of the other for us if we will follow him. But how many leaders do we actually follow as a, as a human race? How many leaders do we follow that, that say, I give this to God because he did this through me? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, right. No, you're really good at this, though. You say that, but. Yeah. And so yeah, we're yeah, not, yeah. even when people try and give God the credit, we as humans don't accept that. It's just our sin nature, I think, that we don't accept the fact that God is in control and he's using people in our lives. We want to still recognize the human ability, that individuality that we always come back to. It's, this person has it going on. That Yeah, God used them, but they're special. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that, that is true. That is so true. Um, all right, we're about to run out of time. We don't have to run out of time because you all are not going to go anywhere. But... Um, <laughs> But I do want to I do want to cover a couple other things before we finish up today, and I I told you I, we would talk about so so how does this fit into modern day Middle Eastern politics, and I just want to reiterate uh, I am not a a political science expert I do not I am not even a good hobbyist at <laughs> geopolitics or anything like that. However, as we look through the history of what we know about the Middle East and what we know about Nimrod and what happened with Shem and, and Ham specifically, remembering the curse of Ham, we, he would serve Shem. And then we have the lineages that would come down. So how does this with Nimrod fit into modern uh, Middle Eastern politics? And th these are the things that I would point you to, and I would say we're going to do this loosely. <laughs> Um, I, I feel confident when I'm telling you, but um, there are, this is all very big picture. There are lots of small pieces um, that go into how Middle Eastern politics is today that's been going on for thousands and thousands, tens of thousands perhaps years, uh, or at least thousands of years. Um, I want you to know Nimrod settled the Middle East. So this is that area of Mesopotamia. That was the land of Ham is the Middle East. Nimrod also introduced tyranny and a rejection of the ancient Hebrews God. Now that's going to become that's going to come more in play if we would continue through Genesis which we're not. But if we were going to go through that that would continue as we move on to the to, to Abraham and I'll share that I'll share why that is in just a minute. But Nimrod was driven by greed, anger and fear through Ham's curse and Shem's blessing. This is what Josephus and other scholars have, have shared uh, in the fact that his paranoia began to grow for fear that the curse would catch up to him. And I think what I would say to, to Nimrod is the curse does catch up with him. Yeah. You know, as he, as he descends into paranoia, he is not finding the joy or the freedom that he thought he had being the tyrant. Well, then we'll, we'll cover that a little bit next week when we actually mm -hmm. go and start talking about the tower. Yes. Because the, the chronological order of these things is a little different than the, the, the order we have them in Scripture. But we're going to see that he doesn't succeed in what his plan is. Yeah. Now, if we go back to the lineage, this is where things get interesting, and this is a great conversation. makes me want to finish Genesis, to be honest. But um, what we find is Abram, who would then become Abraham, um, he basically begins the lineage to Jesus. And it's, it's the lineage that Christians follow. Like we, we trace our, 
our legacy back to Abraham. Jews trace their legacy back to Abraham. But not just Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. But there are some interesting things when we read about Abraham from Scripture uh, that tell us a little bit of what's going on in the politics of this time and in this place. And when we see, when the lineages begin to clash, he was a descendant of Shem. However, when we are introduced to Abraham, Abram, when we're introduced to Abraham, he's living in Canaan, which is Ham, the name of Ham's son, but is also Mesopotamia, which is populated primarily by Ham's family. So here is Abraham, the hope of the Jewish and Christian uh, religions, living in an area who is supposed to be subservient to him because Abraham came from the lineage of Shem. So the blessing that Noah passed on to Shem was coming through Abraham, which then God uh, verifies when he gives him the vision and says, listen, I'm going to make you multiply. Uh, and you're, they're gonna be, Your people are going to be more numerous than the stars you can even count. I, and, and he says, I, just need, I need you to leave this place. When he says, go, I need you to follow me and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Literally, what God is saying to Abraham is, leave the territory of Ham, and I'm taking you somewhere new. Mm-hmm. And that is where the promise to, to Abraham begins, is he has to leave the community in which Ham has populated. Now, we have another problem with Abraham, and that is his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah, and because she has not had any kids. And lineage, again, is crucially important. And so as they need lineage, there are no kids in order for them to uh, continue that line. And so Sarah didn't trust that God would provide a child through her. So she said, well, why don't you marry Hagar? And I'll fast forward to, to, the, to the end of that story. He does, but he doesn't just you know, get her pregnant. He marries her. He's his second wife. But if you remember, Hagar was from Mesopotamia. She was from the lineage likely of Ham. And so Abraham marrying Hagar, now he has a line through Shem and he has a line through Ham. And so when they have a child, his name is Ishmael, and and most, uh, not only Christian, but just scholars in general and Islamic teachers would trace the history of Islam back to Ishmael. He was the firstborn, correct? To, he was the firstborn. And so that's a big deal culturally when yes. we're talking about lineage, that the firstborn son was very highly regarded as opposed yes. to the rest that's of good. the family. Yes. And not only that, does he trace that back to Ham, but then back to Hagar. Or back to Hagar, but that yeah. back to Ham. So their lineage literally traces back to Ham, and Hagar is held up in Islamic uh, culture and theology as a very pious um, and, and very holy woman and held her up to a very high standard of living that she did. She basically did all the right things. Um, and so when she didn't trust, when Sarah did not trust that God provide for her, she asked Abraham to marry Hagar and he did, which he was a big idiot for doing that, but he did it <laughs> anyways. Um, theologically speaking, th- theologically speaking, but Islam was founded by Muhammad who traced his, he's the one who traced her origins back to Ishmael. So now we have two competing religious sects. You have Judaism and Islam 
that are coming from the house of Shem and the house of Ham. So as we look through kind of that history, it's no wonder that we still have conflict between these two groups. But while we in such a young nation believe something is historical because it's 50 years old, right. you know, their history, they, what they understand is their history is thousands and thousands of thousands of year old. That still has a place in their theology and their doctrine and in their culture. So how does that fit? I'm certainly no expert in Middle Eastern politics nor all of the nuances that go along there, but we are still seeing the tension between Shem and Ham and the curse that that Ham had versus the blessing that Shem had. And we still see that fighting, even going to look at the Temple Mount where um, now um, Islam is, is has control of the Temple right. Mount and, and Jews are still cannot go to the Temple Mount, and they cannot sacrifice on the Temple yeah. Mount. They Disputed can't. holy land yeah. for both, 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 yeah. both lineages. And even build a mosque on the Temple Mount along with the Temple. The um, So in, anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there, not that that was the main thing for today. But I want you to see that the things that happened back then are still happening today. The things that began then still happen today. I've, I've shared before uh, I, I also have a love-hate relationship with Rob Bell. I think he gets a lot of stuff right. I think he gets a lot of stuff wrong. Um, I would place myself probably in that same category, though I'm trying to have fewer things wrong than right. But when he said everything is spiritual, this story is the same story that's still being told. Mm-hmm. No matter what's going on with the coronavirus, this is still the same story that's being told. God's coming for his people. He loves us. He wants us to walk with him, and there are a million distractions that will keep us from doing that. Now, whether or not you agree with me on this uh, current Middle Eastern politics, it doesn't really, I'm fine if you agree or disagree with me on that. It doesn't even, for me, hold that much importance. I just think it's interesting. Um, What I do think holds importance to us is what do we allow to distract us from God? What keeps us from experiencing God fully? And kind of what's the point? How do we wrap this thing up? Number one, I would wrap it up with these two things. God is the key to living a full life of joy. He is the key. Walking with him, knowing him. There, when, when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you know he is real, when he speaks to you about you and in your life, it, there's nothing like it. The kind of peace that he provides in times of turmoil. Listen, that's why Christians, we, we have to be purveyors of hope right now. Not purveyors of, oh, everything's going to end. Listen, everything ends when God says it's going to end. If it's the coronavirus, well, I mean, I guess that could be a, a, a cloud of fire descending with Jesus on a horse at its head coming down. But I don't think it is. Of course, now that's going to be the only clip from this that will be seen. Yeah, right, yeah, right. We'll take that little clip up. It says, Pastor Mark Love in Chattanooga says the coronavirus is the end of the world. The end of the world. God's coming to, you know. That's true. But I would encourage you to be purveyors of hope. God's telling a story that we cannot interrupt. What you're going to find next week is that even though Nimrod worked so hard to push in the face of God and draw them together, we are not leaving. God still causes to happen what he wants to happen. Yeah, and one thing in that, living a life full of joy, Nimrod lived a life full of wealth and power but couldn't have joy because he wasn't following yes. God. Yes, 
yes, yes. He may yes. have had some temporary happiness, but he wouldn't have that peace and joy in his heart. And a whole lot of people that looked at him and said, man, I wish I had that. Yeah. I wish I had that. And then when you get down to it, how many people have we seen that are wealthy, that have, have riches and power and stuff, and they're some of the loneliest, most miserable people because yes. they're missing that joy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. The second thing I would leave you with is the last thing I'm going to share with you today. Because I'm probably getting hungry. You're probably already making lunch while you're listening. Yeah, it's going to be time, Mark. At noon, you have to go from your nighttime pajamas into your that's daytime right. pajamas. It's that's around daytime. So. Um, while there are plenty of people that will tell you how much you need them to rule your life, God tells us to rely on him. And it may just be that this time of quarantine is exactly what we need to identify what the tyrants are in our life. And perhaps what we need to, we need to take the power and control away from them. Maybe it is your schedule. You're finally slowing down. You get to sit for a few minutes and the world looks a little different. Maybe you're breathing a little deeper. Maybe, I wouldn't recommend that right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe your fear is off the charts and you're just afraid that something's coming and that you're not going to be able to handle it. And that may not be the coronavirus. That may be losing a job, maybe losing income, losing a house. It could, those are all fearful things. I don't care who you are. But just know that God's been telling this story from the beginning. He's still telling the same story today. And that story is he loves you. He's got you. He has a plan for your life. And the coronavirus is not going to stop that. So wherever you are, I would encourage you with the story of Nimrod to be a cautionary tale of what happens when we get too excited about ourselves or when we get too anxious to give someone else control of our lives. Mm -hmm. But also that true joy is still found in the same thing that it was from day one in the Garden of Eden, and that is walking with God. That's where joy is found. And never depended on circumstances. Yeah, never depended on circumstances. That's good. Okay, I think that's it for today. I think so. It was good. I hope you all enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Oh, I enjoyed it. I think it's, I'm glad we have the technology to be able to do this. Apologies for things that were beyond our control early on in yeah. the broadcast. But we'll post this entire thing up live. The, well, it won't be live, but we'll, we'll get the tape recorded version of this posted up and so that you can go back if you miss parts of it due to cutting out yeah. of the service and such. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll post that. Be sure and check out the kids' resources you can do with your kids. Be watching for Natalia's um, videos that will be coming out every couple of days or so, and those will be posted on Facebook, and they'll be posted on our website. Yeah, and, you, and usually as we close, we don't mean this to be a plug or be forward, but please remember we do have online giving. This is traditionally at the end of our services. We pass the bucket, so we'd ask this this day that we'll pass the virtual bucket online and you guys can go and and sign up for online giving because just because you're not assembled here doesn't mean all of our our bills and things have stopped and mm -hmm. things we still are are continuing to 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 put god's word forth just in a different way but those expenses have not stopped so just pray that you yes can, can give as you can it, as you can we know th we, understand we know this. times are tight as you can um it still helps the ministry of journey to continue right all right thanks all right, let me pray with us, um, and let me encourage you. You can still go to journeychattanooga.com slash pray and leave prayer requests. Uh, we've had some being shared in the group as well, and uh, let's 
be sure we're praying for each other. Father, God, I thank you that you are a good God who loves us. And even though we make the same mistakes over and over again, you are with us. And I pray that you would just be with every person that is just within reach of my voice, uh, that they would know that you are here. You're in the room with them right now where they are. You're speaking to them. You're working for their good. And Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is a tyrant, but a God who invites us into a relationship with you. I pray that you would help us to see what tyrants we have invited into our lives. Help us to see them and help us to break their rule because they will always lead us away from you and it will always be led to someone else's agenda. But you, what you desire for us is what you created for us from the beginning, a full, joyful life knowing and walking with you. Pray that you'd be with all the first responders and all the physicians that are working hard. They're uh, sacrificing perhaps their own health to care for those who are sick. We pray for those who are working and creating a vaccine, those who are being tested for vaccines, and we pray that you would just make straight the path of those uh, medicines that can make people well. I thank you that you have drawn back the curtain. What we consider miracles today is often you working through our physicians and our scientists to come up with these. We thank you for that capacity that they have, for the abilities that you've given them. And for giving them just a glimpse of how you've created us so that we can treat things like this. Father, I pray that as we leave, we would still grow together as a community, even when we're not in the same room. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Have a great week. We'll be talking with you soon.